Welcome to Grace in Peace Church at the beginning of Holy Week. So here at Grace in Peace, one of the things you need to know is that we have a value of the gospel. It is kind of the central uh, hub of everything for us. It is what we build everything upon. It is the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, what does that mean practically? It means if you come here, there is good chance you'll see some of your views affirmed, and then there's another chance that you will be offended. And trust me, if you know me long enough, I'm going to offend you. But also, the gospel, because of the way it is, isn't uh, beholden to one culture, one political party, or anything like that. It will uh, kind of cut and heal each culture in each way. And so, it also means, though, that I up here, as I stand, can be corrected. We're a place where we can have feedback, where you can talk to me about these things. So that's important. The book of Luke and Acts, they are given uh, to be orderly accounts of Jesus. And since we are talking about Jesus and how his kingdom comes, especially this time, we are zeroing in on particular characters of the Bible so that we may see... Uh, his crucifixion, the brutality and beauty of what is going on. Luke and Acts describe the expansion of the kingdom in the midst of the people in order that the readers may have certainty or confidence about the things that are told about Jesus Christ. A key theme throughout the book is going to be the theme of God's kingdom come. Uh, and so Luke will open up by telling about the miraculous birth of Jesus... Then it will go on into a genealogy. And both of these are very common in ancient Near Eastern literature when it is talking about the birth of a king. Further on in Luke chapter 6, we will see that these are the norms or the attitudes of the way the kingdom is to be lived out and how we are to pray, thy kingdom come. Further on, we see that there are parables of the kingdom that Jesus tells in chapter 13. Including one that tells us that from east and from west, people will be gathered into this kingdom. Jesus tells the Pharisees in chapter 17 that the kingdom is in your midst. And on Palm Sunday in Luke 19, Jesus comes forward and he's hailed as a king as he triumphantly enters the city of the king, Jerusalem. But we have to understand that the triumph of the kingdom comes not through triumph, but through the crucifixion. It comes through the cruelty of the cross. And now the cross is, the, he is opening the way into the kingdom through his crucifixion, where he wears a crown of thorns and sits on the cross for a throne. The way of the kingdom of God comes not by triumph, but by suffering. The way of redemption comes not by proving those haters wrong. No, it comes by sacrifice. The way to paradise is not through my will to power, but through God's powerful word. When Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, I can't help but think that the way to paradise is only through him and the events that we read about in the crucifixion. But our culture, we're collectively growing. We 
We want paradise. We yearn for a place, for a home that we do not yet know. It's like this collective unconsciousness that Carl Jung writes about. We feel that we're alienated and homeless in this world. We have deep aches, don't we? We have a yearning for paradise, but we have never been there. But it's echoed, and we hear it in songs. Uh, one of the places is from the 80s smash hit, uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. You know, it starts off, welcome to your life. You know, and then there's no turning back. Even while you be sleep, we will find you acting on your best behavior. Turn your back on Mother Nature. Everybody wants to rule the world. All for freedom and for pleasure. Nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. The song calls out the world's moralism, modernism, and manipulation to make ourselves our own personal kingdoms. The way we carve out our own ways of living in the world. And it says, though, that it can enslave us to our debts. Every person and generation has had an impression about how to make ourselves paradise. And how to get paradise. How to give ourselves comforts and peace in this world. The baby Jew... Baby boomer generation sought to achieve the American dream by progressive acts to secure freedom, rejecting war, protesting big government, and then, you know, get a good job, marry a sensible person, raise 2.5 kids in the suburbs, send them to college to get a degree and live in, in order that they may live a better life than they did. All the while averting nuclear war. Gen X. We never talk about them. It's as if they disappeared off the face of the earth. But it's primarily because they were raised to be self-sufficient, to not be dependent on anyone else around them, to not be too committed to one brand and do what's best for one's own personal economy. But of course, you have to marry your soulmate, otherwise your entire life has failed. Millennials, we're all about the experience. We want to have fun and achievement, get to our next adventure. We will spend the majority of our money in order that we may have a memorable, Instagrammable experience. And you always marry the person that is your best friend, your adventure buddy. And now there's also now the Gen Z crowd. They're activists. They're looking to make an impact and leave the world improved, all the while finding the one person that affirms them and their vision for life. Every person alive has a desire for this transcendent experience. They want paradise or someone or something to raise us out of the mundane, mud pie existence to bring paradise to us. But how do you get it? Each of us has been taught or conditioned that paradise is something to be achieved through your own efforts, individually or collectively, rather than being something that is received. You see, paradise and the kingdom of God is one that is received rather than achieved. Here at the cross we learn Christianity is about paradise coming by passion, the pain of Jesus, and we receive it by his grace, his word and commitment to the promise of God. Today, we're presented with all these Christless alternatives. We want a kingdom. We want paradise. Yet, we could care less about the king. 
And then on the flip side of that, we also, many of us want a king, but yet we care less about how the kingdom comes. You see, today we're going to learn that there is no kingdom without the king, and there's no king without his kingdom. And so in this text, we're going to learn the difference between the way to punishment and the way to paradise. The way to punishment and the way to paradise. And we see it in the lives of these two criminals. We must examine them and let the Bible, therefore, examine us and their lives and what they're doing. In Christ at the cross, punishment opens the door to paradise and pain melts into pleasure for those that trust in, his, in, in him, the word made flesh. But the way of punishment. So there's a prisoner, he rails against Jesus. He's a rebel, he's a brigand. He's waging guerrilla warfare against the Roman Empire in order to create chaos and to destabilize the empire's rule over Israel. His hope is that God would vindicate those who resisted the evil rule of the Romans when he came back. And therefore, go, thumbs up, brigand, good job. Notice this tinge of moralism, right? Notice it's moralistic. It's about his effort. Notice the criminal uses his superiority to do what to Jesus? To abuse him. He says, come on, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And he's so unhinged that he's using his last breath to save himself by trying to abuse Jesus into rescuing him. Why? Because he believes he deserved it because he's the one who spent his time defeating those evil Romans. He wants to establish a particular vision and rule for himself. His version of the kingdom and his paradise is predicated and based on his work to get rid of the Romans. And that's the way he positioned himself and the way he positioned himself on Jesus. You see, if your life is built on anything that Jesus is bringing paradise to you, you will look to Jesus to bring you your own version of paradise. And it's the way of punishment. See, this way sought to leverage Christ into vindicating their way of life, their attempts for paradise. And it all came through the work of their hands. And this is the lie of Satan. That you can have a kingdom. You can have paradise without God. That you can be the ruler that you can be the center of the universe. That you can do it. That you can have the kingdom of self-sufficiency. This type of superiority or self-righteousness was displayed by the Pharisees and the ruling class as well. Hence why throughout the book, uh, Luke tells about Jesus using parables to point out the blindness that they have. And tells them to pull out the beam of their eye from in their eye before pointing out the speck in their brother's eye. He's trying to point out their moralistic self-righteousness, and he calls it blindness. And blindness is related to idolatry, and idolatry is the work of their hands. And you see, what the Pharisees, and what the rulers, and what brigands, and what you and I are conditioned to do, and it is so innocuous, the default mode of our heart is to what? To live for our own kingdom come. To build it by the work of our hands. And so we all do that. 
And therefore, it will leave us in this performative effort all the time. This is the way of the world, the spirit of the age. It is the way that says it is better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. And every person, Christian and non-Christian, this is the way we are thinking about. This is the default mode of the way we live our lives. It will use every effort to pad our resumes. To think, I deserve the kingdom because of this. I deserve the good life because I've done X, Y, and Z. You know, and many of us have had something traumatic happen to us. We've had someone else's desire for the kingdom and their own kingdom come and impact our own lives, causing us to always live in this performative effort. We always find ourselves second-guessing ourselves in quiet while trying to put our best foot forward and put it projecting a bold front to people. We'll condemn the wrongs of others, all the while stuffing our self-condemnation that night. We will project our insecurities on others to get them to perform in order that we will feel secure in ourselves. We will pressure our kids, spouses, and co-workers to do what we believe is best, all to get our kingdom come. All the while, we feel deeply anxious about failing because we can't fathom losing paradise. All this will cause this unshakable anxiety. You will always feel it. It will always go through your life. And it will manifest itself in threats toward others, in rewriting narratives so that you can kind of get your story straight. And you're always trying to control people's impression of you. I've shared a bit about my childhood. Um, some of you know that as a child, I was abused by my father. And what this did was it caused in me uh, uh, this default mode of believing that if I was going to secure my way in the world, if I was going to be safe, I needed to be competent. I needed to know everything. I needed to never put a foot out of line. And what did this do to me? It caused me to look down my nose in smugness at everybody who was not as good or cool as me. People who could answer the right questions. And then, it also caused me to project my insecurity on people like my kids, and so I'm completely afraid of them ever failing. I'm frightened by it. And day by day, the work of, of actually living as the Christian life is refusing to go down the way of punishment and performance and to live in a way, the way of paradise that comes not through self-achievement, but receiving the kingdom of God achieved in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, I want Jesus to make people competent. This way will always, the way of punishment will always try to find Jesus as useful or will want Jesus to affirm them. In the end, this view of Jesus is more like your view, you believe him to be a personal assistant or a cosmic vending machine. We think if I do the right things, if I go to college, if I make my parents happy, if I uh, marry the right person, if my kids are in line, if I go to church, if I help out the poor, if I give 10% of everything that I have, then I press the button at the end of my life, and out should come 
my best life now. You see, you treat Jesus more like a machine than an actual person. Believing that he owes you something. And that is often the way we treat Jesus, isn't it? You will always put God to the test, asking him to come through. Or if you're a millennial like me, you'll demand the experience of God transcendent, meeting me on top of a mountain as I blast down a hill on my snowboard at 40 miles an hour. You see, you will always live in these constant binaries, thinking, God, you must answer me or you don't exist. But that isn't the way the kingdom comes. It is not predicated on you testing God. It is not predicated on you achieving for God, but rather God achieving for you in Jesus Christ. And so, it doesn't mean that whenever you find peace that you found God, but rather that God finds you and you may lose all your sense of peace. Christianity is lived by faith-seeking understanding. Though we don't get everything, we're dependent on the one who does. Here, the unrepentant will always be looking for someone or something to bring paradise to them, all the while making it a hell for somebody else that they must perform in order to get right with our kingdom. And that is not the way of the kingdom. That is the way of punishment, condemnation, and hell. This way, the way of punishment, you will always fear Jesus. You know... In comparison to his moral excellence and what he has done, how good are your achievements? Now, let me put it this way. I love basketball. I'm pretty good at it. But in comparison to Michael Jordan, wait, uh, LeBron James, because apparently Michael Jordan is like no one even knows him anymore. Uh, I am not good at basketball. And so when we are put up against the moral excellencies of Jesus, how in the world are you going to feel about your moral excellencies? You're going to feel condemned. To reject Jesus is to say that I can make my own kingdom my own way. And in his presence, you will always feel condemnation unless you are secure in his judgment for you. Him standing in your place on the day of judgment. You will always punish yourself until you know that he was punished in your place. That he was condemned to secure your blessings. And you will extend that to others. Paradise is received, not achieved. And we do well to learn that every little bit of our days, don't we? To remind ourselves and to beat it into our heads and get Jesus at the heart. The way of punishment is marked by performance and lack of security. You will never feel uh, the, the true, deep, abiding peace. Put it in story form. Mother Teresa, for all we know, was absolutely a true believer. And by all accounts, she must have had some sort of peace or transcendent peace deep down, secured in God's judgment for her in Jesus Christ. She went to Calcutta. She helped lepers. She helped orphans. But yet, when she reported to the mission field, when she decided to become a missionary, what did she not feel? She did not feel that she experienced God in any way. She felt like he was distant. And she struggled with that the entire time of her service. You see, 
her strength and power came not from experience or peace, but her strength came from God's love for her in the word and vividly portrayed on the cross. It came not in her struggle to prove herself worthy, but in Jesus' struggle on the cross to declare herself worthy in him. To her, the kingdom is received and not achieved. Not achieved by personal peace or experience. Not by leveling up, but by Jesus Christ losing all levels in order to come to your level. What about this way of paradise? The other criminal, he's rebuking, uh, the other criminal rebukes the other and says, Do you not fear God? Since we are under the same sentence of condemnation, it was believed that, that any punishments that were dealt out were deserved because of their sin. And this person gets it right. Here, though, the word fear refers not so much to being afraid, but refers to a covenantal respect or reverence. It prioritizes one person over the others to organize the rest of the way you see and interact in the world. Um, let me put it this way. I'm in a relationship, I'm in a covenant relationship with my wife, okay? And that means that I give her difference or preference or priority in my ways of thinking. How does this work? I love bicycles. I love bicycles a lot. I think about bicycles all the time, right? But I have a genuine fear or reverence for my wife, and therefore I shall not spend $8,000 on a new bicycle. Why? Even though you know we may have the cash, why? Because I fear my wife. And so now, they are saying this, not that, you know, do you fear dying, but do you fear God in the way you are interacting at this moment? The way of paradise is a rebuke to the way of punishment. The way of punishment is the way of performance and moralism. The way of paradise is the way of dependence and grace. The way of paradise depends on Christ and his word, not me and my efforts. The repentant criminal confesses the need that both of them have. This is what we deserve, he says. We're receiving our just reward of our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. Whereas Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is the stand, standing, Jesus is standing in the place of the condemned to save those condemned by their efforts. They're condemned by their efforts of trying to make paradise apart from God. The way of punishment is through our own efforts. The way of punishment is through our own efforts. But the way to paradise is by God's effort in Jesus. Jesus, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. To call a king to remember is not that, you know, you need to have some memory. But rather is to recall the promises you have made. Remind yourself, remember who you are. That you save people. That you have come to be our God. And we, your people. Remember that. 
This is a plea and a confession of faith. His prayer at this time is not to get Jesus on his side, but for Jesus to do what he came to do, to save those who have faith in him as the Messiah. That Jesus would be true to his word. Therefore, this criminal's hope for entrance into the kingdom leans only upon the work of God in Jesus Christ. That God would be true to his covenant in Jesus. And Jesus responds to him, Truly, certainly, absolutely, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Are there sweeter words to those who are condemned? For those who struggle? For the poor? For those of us who are suffering? For those of us condemned by our efforts? Those of us who feel like we're falling short? Those of us who feel like the darkness is closing in and that our lives are about to end? The kingdom is paradise because that is the place where the king rules and reigns. It comes by grace. It comes by Jesus. The place where heaven and earth meet, where eternity meets the temporal. The divine dwells with the human. The word used for paradise is the same word that is used and translated for the garden in Genesis. The garden was the place where God dwelt with man. And man lived on mission serving God there. Later, in the tabernacle and temple, what we see is that they used the images of the garden to decorate these two places, recalling the haven and sanctuary of the garden, shaping the reality of their mission to represent God's character in the world by God dwelling with them. He dwelt in their midst in the wilderness while they were living there. In, 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 so he dwelt in the tabernacle. He dwelt with the people in his temple that they are to worship, be formed and shaped by a God who dwells with them. You see, the hope of those facing death is not a disembodied place, but physical presence with the Lord, and that is paradise. That is the kingdom. Heaven is not heaven without the presence of God. But it is a personal hell. The kingdom is not the kingdom without the king. And if there is a king, then there is a true kingdom. And if Jesus reigns as king, both body and soul, physically, then his kingdom can be felt and touched. Notice that he says that the way to the kingdom is opened by his word. In a thousand years? No. He says today. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Immediately after losing the mortal coil, the faithful will put on the eternal in the presence of our king. The intensity of God's love is realized and experienced in Jesus. So when the criminal says, remember me, it is a plea and a confession of faith. It is faith seeking understanding. He may not have it all together. 
He may not know everything he needs to know. He has not taken a seminary class. He doesn't have a systematic theology on his bookshelf. He does not have the Westminster Confession of Faith, larger and shorter catechism, either memorized. But rather, what he has is the faith that God is going to be the one who is true to save sinners like himself. Paradise is paradise because the presence of a person, the presence of God. Think like home. I love my home. I have many great laughs. We played many great games with the kids. We have lots of photo ops. There are times where I stop in the middle of my home to rejoice in the goodness that I see God reflecting through in our lives. But if I come home in the middle of the day and my family isn't there... It's just a cold prison cell without them. You see, home, as Brandy Carlisle, who I believe she's right, wherever is your heart, I call home. Because the heart's home, paradise, is to be with God. And on the cross, the Father in his great love gives his Son, who willingly gives himself to have what he loves, to make a home with you and me, his beloved we can't get that great love, that intimacy. We don't get it by effort, but by the Holy Spirit pressing into our hearts and uniting us to Christ. It is received and not achieved. I don't think the repentant prisoner knew all this. He didn't know everything we know. But he faithfully saw with eyes of faith. In the story of the fall, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, usurping his power, deciding to live life in paradise and make a home without him. God cast them out because that life would only be punishment and death. So he sent them out and put two angels with flaming swords, meaning the only way to enter back here is to come under the flaming sword of God's judgment and to have it cut you down. And on the cross, Jesus opens the way to paradise by allowing the flaming sword of God's judgment to cut him down. He's sparing the unjust so that they can have paradise with him. Because at the cross, Christ gets our punishment and we get his paradise. Jesus takes our guilty verdict so that we can be justified. Jesus bears our sins in shame so we can rejoice and free from the need to perform. Jesus wears the crown of thorns that we can wear the crown of righteousness. Jesus sits on the throne of the cross that we may sit with him enthroned on high. Jesus dies our death so death may no longer reign over us. Jesus got damnation so that we can enjoy paradise. Jesus is killed as a rebel so we can be received as children. Jesus gets the cross so we can be in his home. The way of paradise is through the cross. The way of the kingdom is through the death of Jesus on our behalf and is lived in his resurrection. Paradise is open by his passion. Let us Mighty and gracious God, let us get at the heart that we may be those who follow after you in sacrifice and kindness, that we would be people 
formed and shaped by your word and your sacrifice, that we may give our lives in, in, to others, that we may not demand on our own ways and our kingdom come, but we would live for thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in Jesus Christ, heaven has come to earth and has opened the way of the kingdom. May we live in it now under your rule and reign. That we may take it out of these doors today. To make you known. In Christ's name, amen.